0: Welcome to Indie Dotes, the podcast that shares the stories of independent creators. I'm your host, Susan Bond. Today I have Ryan Lukens on the show. Um, Ryan likes to draw stories. Um, And when he's not drawing stories, he is also the head of Brand and Creative for Techstars. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Susan. Happy to be here.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit first about your day job. Um, Can you just tell me a little bit more about what you do as the Head of Brand and Creative uh, for Techstars?
1: Yeah. I'm relatively new to the world of Techstars, but I've been connected to entrepreneurship for for quite some time. Uh, My personal mentor, Jenny Lawton, serves as Chief Operating Officer of Techstars. and Before that, she was CEO of, of MakerBot and ran strategy at another startup in New York called Little Bits, which was founded by Aya Badair. Um, so when she joined Techstars, she realized that they were operating a worldwide network that was helping entrepreneurs succeed, but might not have always had the same brand message. Um, sometimes logos might not always be the same, and that's very like basic stuff to, to figure out. But the power of brand is to tell a story um, and imbue it with emotional imagery um, that really delivers on that brand promise consistently. So long story short, she asked if I would like to joined the the company. And for the past nine months, I've really worked to bring the brand together and just amplify some of the stories that are happening across our worldwide network.
0: My guess is that that occupies a great deal of your time, Um, heading up all of that. But on the side, you know, you you really like to draw stories. And I'm curious about when you got started in drawing stories.
1: I think it was probably preschool, uh, drawing on the back of whatever my reading or writing assignment was. And <laughs> that early, huh? <laughs> yeah, and you know what? It got, it, I don't want to say beaten out of me. That's the wrong, definitely the, the wrong term. Um, but I was disinclined to draw uh, thereafter. And I tried to, to reboot again, probably in middle school. And same thing, like drawing action sequences on the back of my homework. Uh, and that was definitely the focus of the parent-teacher conference. Um, Wait, can and, we pause on that sure, for a second? sure, sure. Because
0: I'm like... Hang on a minute, because I actually think this is really important. I feel like when we're younger, uh, creativity, we allow creativity to, to reign in. And at some point, someone reels it in for us, right? Like, it's a conversation. For me, it was a conversation. I wanted to be um, a singer. I played five instruments, and I was a singer. And I was advised, rather than to be a singer, to become a music teacher. And, like, so it was a part of those 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 conf- the teacher conferences. Was it because you were drawing on your homework or was it because you you weren't focusing? Like, what were those, you know, what was the tenor of those conversations?
1: Yeah, I don't know if it was my generation or or my community where um, the subject of attention deficiency never ever came up, but looking back now, um, it was definitely a struggle for me to, to stay focused. I'm curious about the verb that you used, squelched, where whoever told you to channel your energy from singer to music teacher, they might have thought that they had innocuous intentions, right? That they were helping you. And I think Absolutely
0: every... they did. Yeah. They absolutely did.
1: And, and I, I, I share that experience, whether it was a teacher, uh, a parent, some other guardian or mentor in, in the space, that one spending all their time in a fantasy world might not be the best use of their time.
0: So was it directly stop drawing? or was it you need to channel that energy into your homework? And, and I, I'm curious about that, and then also what you took out of that.
1: It's something that I think I, I'm just now figuring out, which is how to balance or to integrate your, your multiple worlds, the, you know, the realities that you occupy, that when someone um, in preschool or in seventh grade told me, um, you need to pay more attention to your current studies, or you can draw, but after you finish your homework, that didn't compute for me. It was all or nothing. Uh, I couldn't, ah. I, I, how is that possible? If I'm completely invested in this one thing, how would I have time or energy left over for the other? Um, so it never made sense.
0: So I'm interested in this concept of all or nothing. Was it because they said you need to focus on schoolwork? Did you say, well, then okay, then I have to go nothing? Did you stop drawing completely?
1: Yes, I stopped drawing completely. I don't think I actually went through the thought process of I have to give this up to go do the other thing. That just happened. Right, uh,
0: right. When you're 8 or 12 or 14 right. or whatever, you may not think like that. So you gave up drawing. At what, what age did you give up drawing completely?
1: I think it was 12, 13. Uh, and I can jump ahead in the story as to like when, when I begin again, but all of these gaps are about seven to eight years in between where I did zero drawing, did not pick up a pen for that purpose.
0: Well, yeah, so let's talk, so you you drop it in favor of schoolwork or whatever other people thought was more important. And then what was the point? I mean, did you miss it when you weren't drawing?
1: I don't think I actively missed it. What I would do is channel that energy into other projects. uh, And that might have been school related or outside of school. In in high school, my senior year, um, I didn't know how to play any instrument, all my friends did, but what I could do uh, was design posters and help them book shows, and I ended up like managing a handful of my friends' bands and printing all of the, the merchandise for them. Um, and so got like a, a four screen printing press off of eBay and kind of taught myself how to do that. And was really bad at it, but it was good enough, at the time it was awesome. Um, and that would be a way that I would channel whatever my creative energy would have been And I, I wouldn't have characterized it back then as like this is a creative act. It's it to me was much more operational um, that, Oh yeah.
0: interesting. Yeah, yeah, so that you saw. yeah, that, I like that a distinction between operational versus a creative act. Yeah So when did you? When did you get back to drawing for the next time and, and what was the impetus?
1: Yeah, so I, I There's a a big gap from me printing t-shirts in in high school, and I can fill you up to to date because I think that that part is probably important. So I'll I'll start with where I drove again, and then I can backtrack. I was living in Egypt working as a photojournalist after Barack Obama was elected president, and I was brought in sort of on a whim by a crazy deputy managing editor that um, took a flyer on me, and I was eventually promoted to... Staff photographer for this publication um, in Middle East, North Africa, and after that, sort of head of visual, and that included illustration. So I would do some editorial um, cartooning when a story required it, but they were in fits and spurts. But I enjoyed doing that drawing again. And Tumblr was big at the time, and I would start posting random drawings on a Tumblr and. Um, as people did back then, retumbling, tumbling I gained some some traction, and suddenly saw like a fan site on fan club uh, on Facebook about my my art, which I thought was super weird. And bloggers asking if they could write me uh, an interview about about my art, and that sounded super weird too. Um, <laughs> and th- so this is I'm telling you, this is 2000, 2009, nine two thousand ten. Yeah. Um, and. We were totally blowing over this Egypt story, but eventually, a couple of weeks prior to the beginning of what's now called Arab Spring, I decided to leave Egypt and uh, put down my camera and really kind of put down my pen as I attempted to go back to, to school. And so that was, that was like the, the third stint of drawing, and then took another six, seven years off. So, guys,
0: so then you took another six or seven years off to go to school?
1: Uh, I mean, again, like that story is so out of order, yeah, so I I decided, I was exposed to issues of social inequality and, um, well, social injustice and gender inequality for sure, and environmental degradation uh, in Egypt, and as a photojournalist for for like well-heeled business travelers, didn't really feel like I had agency to affect any change, so I thought I'd go back to school, let's focus on environmental sustainability, Uh, and that's what I ended up doing. Um, When I went back to school I was selected for a defense language program based on my international travel experience and they sent me to China where I learned Mandarin and there on a trip I went to Shenzhen uh, in southern China and I was exposed to the hardware manufacturing ecosystem uh, and it blew my mind and I thought like people can just walk in like IKEA and point to sensors or other components and prototype a product that's crazy is anybody doing that in the US because mind you like at this time we're really hitting the apex of the recession 2010 2011 2012 who's doing that back in the US and just by chance on the flight back from Shenzhen to Taipei where I was living I pick up a copy of Wired magazine and on the cover is a guy with his cool glasses holding a 3D printer. Uh, his name was Bree Pettis, the founder and, and first CEO of, of MakerBot. And I thought, I need to figure out how to get connected to this guy and what he's doing. And where is that base? Brooklyn. I got to get to Brooklyn. So I began, I began hassling, hounding all of my professors, anybody that might have some sort of touch point that would bring me into that circle. Uh, and eventually a professor said, I know someone named Jenny Watton, who at the time was chief strategy officer and later became president and CEO of, of MakerBot. Um, and I just emailed her until she gave me some time. Um, and I flew out to New York and she gave me 10 minutes, which became 90 minutes and then the 90 minutes became a job offer. And then I, now I'm in startup. And so I dropped out of school again, um, and, and lived in New York. I don't know if that answered your question, but that's, wow, that, that's what, what I've been story. up to.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's such a great, I, I love that, the idea of like where people's career paths take them yeah. um, and where our fascinations might, might take us. So, you know, you're, you, you turn a 10-minute conversation into a job eventually, and at what point were you at MakerBot? When you started drawing again, or what no. did you start drawing again?
1: Yeah, so, so then you're fast-forwarding through a number of years of me working in New York hardware startup scene, uh, MakerBot and LittleBits, where companies where I put a lot of my time and energy, and after my time at those two companies, I realized that I wanted to get closer to what had been missing for a couple of years, which is, Not to be the business person, not to be the salesperson or the marketer, but um, to to use creativity um, to to tell stories. And I didn't feel like I had the agency to do that in my my roles.
0: Mm, Yeah, that, that makes sense. in those kind of those kind of roles. So it was a clear. How did you come to that? Decision that you wanted to use creativity to tell stories like what was it? Was there one event? Or was it just you just sit down and journal like where did that come from? No,
1: you're you're right It was exactly one event so 18 months ago I proposed to my now wife and we were in South America and we were talking about how to architect our lives together What is it that we we want to be content? What what's missing from from our lives and? um, the list was relatively small and it was my you know, my wife is the one who called out, she knew uh, because we first got connected from my last stint in drawing that there was this piece of me that I had shut off. And that she hoped that I would have the opportunity to turn that back on and to integrate that back into my, my daily life. And so it was really, really her pushing to even like let me acknowledge that that was something that was missing from my life. And so we said right there, like if, if we're going to build this life together, I have to find a way to, to transform into this person who's essentially a professional non-creative, that's how I perceive myself, into someone who made things. We decided to, at that moment, chart a journey uh, forward for us, and that meant moving away from New York, uh, moving closer to our families in the West Coast, and for all of its warts, for better or worse, Hollywood still remains the world capital of creative storytelling. And I thought, what a cool opportunity to bring my background in startup or in tech to this industry that's transforming, which is media and entertainment. So we decided to, to quit our jobs and move west. And I really thought that that's what I was going to, to focus on, uh, jumping into entertainment. Um, and it didn't quite turn out that way. Instead, what happened along the way is I thought, what I've always wanted to do is draw a picture book. What if I do it soup to nuts? in two weeks, because otherwise I'll overthink it, I'll do too much research, it'll take years to finish, what if I only have 2 weeks sprint to get it done? And so after I quit my job, I locked myself in our Williamsburg apartment, uh, I got some coffee and made this story, called The Walicho, and I published it on Medium last spring, spring and a half ago. Uh, and it was read quite a few times, it was shared quite a few times, Ev Williams, um, founder of, of Medium, reached out and told me he liked his work, and it, you know, that project helped me change my own perception that oh i am someone who makes things uh, but it did way more than that it wasn't just my own perception it wasn't the perception of of my now wife, but it was friends it was my family that forgot or didn't know that i had this in me my former boss and still mentor didn't know this about me um, people that reached out and tried to recruit me subsequently they lean on that first. They don't look at the other stuff that I, I did the way that I used to perceive myself. Um, and, and so like through this single act, and maybe it was many more steps that led to it, it, it helped me go, oh, I can change.
0: Well, yeah, I, have, I literally have tears over here. I'm trying not to have them fall on the mic because I think it's so like, such a great story. Um, and I love that you have a moment and that your wife was the person who reminded you like this is this is this is really important to you. This is who you are because there's this way in which identity. It's a, a lot about identity and how we perceive ourselves, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Like so, when I was a kid, I was very creative. Right. I mean, I had a radio show. I was a singer. I you know performed in numerous choirs. Played five instruments. Was on the journalism staff. Was the the photographer for the newspaper, and for the yearbook, and. You know I also I felt like I had to kind of grow up right at 18 I had to pick something else because I had to to grow up and I let go of it and it took a very long time for me to get that creative identity back right like like because it was really a part of me but how did I bring back that or remind myself and it sounds like in that moment your wife reminded you of it and you thought oh maybe I could take a job but instead you decided to sit down and, and do a creative act just that, that book, those two weeks with your coffee <laughs> uh, and, I don't know, pen and paper or whatever, sounds like that was the calling back of an, uh, of an identity or something important to you. That's
1: right, and, and it's funny that you integrate these parts of your life that don't seem explicit, but, you know, the years before I decided to do that, I was working at companies that promoted this idea of move fast and break things, do more faster, the cult of done... Uh, don't overthink it just execute all of this is rapid prototyping And when it came time for for me to make my thing I did all that, but I wasn't conscious of that I think it had just it seeped in you know
0: So when you when you did that did it feel like you reclaimed something was there something really different about the way? You thought about yourself after that or were there moments where did it happen? And then you thought oh well that was a one-off.
1: Yeah, I initially thought I have this grand strategy and I'm gonna architect like a seven-book plan, and I'm gonna. This is like the next decade, and I can see the future in a bookshelf full of things um, that I've created. But at the same time, I thought you can't do that. You don't. Where are you gonna find the time for that? And you're gonna get in your own way. Um, I held these thoughts simultaneously. But yes, there was a change where it's like I don't know if I'm I'm good enough, but I also am receiving validation from objective third parties. So maybe I am. But I imagine you or some of the other guests on this podcast previously feel the same way, that even if you feel really proud of something that you put out there, there's still this lingering question like, are you good enough to do it again?
0: Right. Are you good enough to do it again is absolutely – I think it's a refrain for lots of folks. I mean, I even remember when I wrote an article for Fast Company that went super wide. It ended up becoming – one of their leadership lessons of the year, their top 10 for the entire year. And it was amazing, but then I thought, oh my gosh, this was a one hit, I'm a one hit wonder. I will never be able to write again. I mean, it's been a couple of years and it still kind of comes back once in a while, right? Mm -hmm. Am I good enough? Can I repeat this? After you did the book, did you did you start working on something else again? Immediately. Like how did immediately. You, immediately. Yeah. you did? Oh, great, good. Okay, good. I, I had
1: to because, okay, so I'm really bad at process and I'm not creating like this false dichotomy that you're either spatially oriented or whatever the other is, um, but it's hard for me. And I know that it's hard, so I have to create systems to um, mm-hmm. move across the line. And I have learned that in professional work and I just decided to apply those habits the best I could to my personal work. Um, the next I had a list of book projects that I wanted to do next and I thought the first one would be this historical adventure called Lost in Antarctica that took six weeks so it took three times as long and it wasn't as enjoyable a process and while like functionally I think I improved in terms of composition the story was missing its soul it didn't have this emotional component so it was like me trying to work through sophomore slump, like forcing myself to, to do it. And I look back at it now and it's fine. But it wasn't that magical binary zero to one moment that the first one was.
0: And why do you think that is or, or why was it missing the, that, that soul or heart?
1: It's very easy for someone that thinks of themselves as creative or artistic to get in their own head. Um, and if you're,
0: <laughs> yes, it and is. I don't, <laughs> so I don't know
1: enough about, about the brain or the creative process, but from my own experience, when you use like the logical or the reasoning part of your brain, the prefrontal cortex, it's a completely different tool set from the reptilian or the limbic parts, the emotional survival parts of your brain. And I think like, from what I enjoy, the, the best art, um, comes from the latter, comes from, or comes from like the, the more primitive parts of the brain. When you overthink it, it, it's a tool, it's information, that's what it's conveying, but does it stir in someone this basic universal understanding? Is there some emotional truth that just like pierces? Um, and I don't think it did that.
0: Mm, I think it's, it's really true, the idea that we overthink it. We can overthink so hard and then we lose the, the heart. And I actually think, the heart and the pathos is actually important for all sorts of things you know what even if you're creating a product that that you think is not emotional underneath it all there is always a story or a heart
1: I, I couldn't agree more yeah absolutely
0: so you did the second one so then what happens you get you know you're trying to get over the sophomore slump and you're in you know you you've done this the you know lost in antarctica and it's not quite the same experience yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it did great. It performed way better. Medium, because it's called Lost in Antarctica, made it part of their 404, like page not found page. It's like, it, it felt good that it was being received well, um, even if I didn't feel happy about it. And together, I felt like they had cemented, this wasn't a one-off, this is who I am now. And so I began doing stories on a smaller basis. So I, after these two stories, I decided that I was just going to produce stories more rapidly so I wouldn't get in my own head. If I have an idea, let me write it out, let me draw some illustrations, let me publish it online. The marginal cost of producing content or sharing content is like next to zero. It's so easy to come up with something and, and share it. I wanted to do it often. And so I started doing that on you know a daily basis. And I would leverage Medium and later Instagram um, to, to share my stories.
0: I can see the threads from your earlier work, right? And the threads of, uh, and even your work now with, with startup community, you know, about like, you know, producing more rapidly and rapid prototyping. And I think there's even something you call minimum viable habit.
1: Yeah. To me, it's what can you do consistently? And I think that applies, um, to my work in branding um, and it does with, with creativity. Anything that you can um, you can do consistently is great. So for me from like a health perspective, it's been really hard for me to uh, maintain like a yoga practice, a meditation practice. One thing I can do is I installed a pull-up bar and I do pull-ups every other day and it's not like a crazy CrossFit routine. But I know every other day I do it and the check is today I do it and if I did it today, I don't do it tomorrow. And that's a minimum viable habit. And another example is that it's very hard for me to get up and write three pages a day, morning pages, but I can definitely write two sentences or I can scribble a little bit with my iPad Pro and pencil. And then again, it's a binary check. Did I do it? Did I not do it? And I think Jerry Seinfeld does this with a calendar where like, he'll draw an X every day that he wrote or maybe performed comedy. And all you want to do is keep that chain of X's. Don't break that chain.
0: Yeah. We, we talked about habits um, on another podcast and I'll, I'll link to that one on this show too. Um, but that idea of keeping up those binary check marks, did you also put, put this minimum viable habit towards the drawing at all or no?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I really want to tell longer stories, more protracted stories. It's probably not the term to to use. And I have to work on it every day. I'm not worried about increasing or improving my composition, but it's building that muscle that drawing something new or writing something new shouldn't feel scary. And the longer the gaps between those periods of like action, the scarier it becomes. So by just doing it every day, um, introducing and, and st- sticking with that minimum viable habit. It just, it's not a problem. It's, it's something that you do. And I think like I'm using plain language because that's all it is. I brush my teeth because I've done that consistently for as long as I can remember. I know how to tie my shoes. I'm not actively thinking about it. There's like, again, I don't know enough about the brain, but the myelin sheath or whenever there's an emotional moment around an experience, you remember it, you create what we now call like muscle memory, um, and your brain shuts off and you just kind of do it, right? Like the best athletes shoot a free throw or swing a golf club so many times, they're not actively thinking about how to swing. If they think about it, they'll screw it up. And I'd like to be the same way in that I write or draw, and it's not a big deal for me consciously. I can almost, you know, I can almost slip into the subconscious, or I can dip into what, you know, Jung calls the collective unconscious and grab some inspiration from there.
0: So did you get into this flow with your drawing after, you know, the first two books, like after, you know, Lost in Antarctica, or, you know, was that when you began to really form a more regular habit that stuck? Yeah, it
1: definitely started then, but just like any practice, it's so easy to deviate. And what one goes through is usually a period of self-doubt and then, um, angered towards self, like why can't you commit to this habit, it's so important to you, Correct. why aren't you doing it? And, and in beating yourself up, you might help yourself get back in the track, but it's better to just say it's fine, you can come back to the path. Anytime that like, you break your concentration with meditation, it's not that you're wrong and that you can't focus, but your job there is to observe anything that distracts your attention and your awareness to that is the solution. Uh, and I try to take that perspective with my creative output.
0: Let's talk a little bit more directly about, uh, drawing transformation stories.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm still figuring it out, but there is this concept that I can't put into words other than using the word transformation. And I'm more interested in that than anything else. And it's metamorphosis. It might just be change. Whatever you think about, we're constantly changing. I have stubble my face I shaved this morning like there's a state of change and sometimes when we look in the mirror day by day by day we forget that we change Um, it's the ugly duckling it's day by day but only when you're removed um, at a different scale can you can you mark the change right like you can't see the polar ice caps melting day by day but um, when you speed it up you sure can and that's what I'm, I'm obsessed with and from a human perspective we are growing as individuals, we're growing as partners, we're growing as people, as part of a community, we're growing as a nation, as a, as a species. Um, we're all doing that, and I just want to understand it. And so when I say I want to draw transformation stories, it's stories of self-improvement. It's stories of creativity. Like the way that I define creativity, it's not as simple as taking two things and combining them in a new way, but that's part of it. There are so many different ways To figure that out. And I think that we all have the creative capacity to be creative. I guess that's sort of redundant. Um, But how do we activate that? You know, like as I tell my story, I hear from everybody else about their story. You just told me yours. Um, There are more, and we need to normalize and demystify this idea of creativity. That if your name is, you know, if your title is creative director, um, that means like you oversee um decisions that lead to the execution of an idea can you bring stakeholders to help you um, bring that vision to life not necessarily that you're this amazing super exclusive designer i mean it includes that too but if that were totally the case like i couldn't do the job that i'm currently doing because i lack the self-confidence or i don't have the traditional credentials and i look at the world as it changes now and the micro and the macro that there are increasing opportunities for individuals to decide that they are creative, right? Like you're running this podcast, it's a super creative act. You're finding all these amazing outlets to publish your content and share with your your community. And a generation ago, like that would have been so much harder. And so we see tools like Kickstarter and Patreon, and more recently and relevant to me, Medium's partner program. Um, There are lots of different avenues for someone to make something, put it out into the world, and be recognized for it
0: in this drawing transformation store um, series is it you know what are you doing in it is it a, a, is it a drawing a day is it um, or more by inspiration or by interest in topic
1: yeah so right now you'll see how I, I phrase it like what I'm trying to do are are draw stories and I, I say that intentionally for me to remember that it's more than just illustration it's more than just writing But it's this fusion, this harmony between two different disciplines to tell a story. If someone asked me, who is your favorite artist or creator, Um, who I'm choosing right now is Maurice Sendak. And I I look at his work and I still don't understand it. It's not easily resolved for me. It leaves me questioning um, and that's magical. And I think about that way with the best music where it's not very clear what the message is, and that means the interpretation is up to me, the individual. Or rather, this is really kind of weird, that the the meaning is in this invisible, intangible space between the creator and, and the audience. And that's what I'm trying to, to work towards. So sometimes it doesn't mean drawing every day, but it's working on that story that, which is going to be drawn. So every day I allocate time and I'm working and like it's almost like kneading bread where you're constantly pushing and pulling and working on it and knowing it's not finished or good enough. And the stories originally, when I, when I thought like I wanna draw transformation stories, were a series of vignettes capturing all different walks of life. And that is really interesting, but it's personally interesting to build a character that can serve as like an avatar or a conduit for, for anybody to see themselves in that journey. So it's the reason that people can coalesce around a franchise like Star Wars, or a franchise like Harry Potter, or follow Katniss in, in Hunger Games, that that individual is really an archetype. And in this case, like Katniss, you're talking about a hero archetype that represents all of these basic and universal truths and helps us understand ourselves and our world in the context of that particular story. So I have uh, a new dog It's my first dog, her name is Yuko, and she's inspired this character that I can't stop drawing, which is a pizza-eared pup that I call Osmo. And he is the center of this world that I'm trying to build, and the journey is his transformation. And it's a transformation of all the characters in his life, and he not necessarily is the instigator of transformation, but he gets to be the lens through which me, or you, or anybody that is reading that story um, can can witness transformation, uh, and that's the point again. If I if I say if you look at Star Wars, it's not just Luke Skywalker who goes from an arc of like a little lost orphan boy in Tatooine to becoming like the last Jedi. Like that's a big transformation. Every character in every story ever goes on an arc. They grow in some way. And if it's not a character, it maybe it's a, it's a community um, that is, is evolving. And, uh, and that's what I want to explore. And it doesn't mean that I have it figured out, but that's like what's consuming my time.
0: It's so true, like that arc and exploring stories and that we are all transforming all, all the time, uh, every day. Um, and I want to ask a very tangible question. So how are you putting these transformation stories out there? What's the vehicle in which you're putting it out into yeah, the
1: world? Yeah, I mean, talk about transformation, like the execution has definitely changed. That I thought the way to keep myself accountable would be to share on my Instagram channel every day. This is what I'm doing. Here's what I drew this morning. Here are a couple of, yeah, like, what do you call it when you don't even know what you're planning, like extemporaneous or just jotted down thoughts where it's not, th- it almost is coming from, from the unconscious where I'm not sitting down and copy editing this. It's just whatever my thumbs can jam out before I press publish and then it's out. And then once it's out, once you have like that, crappy draft out in the wild, you can look at it, and you or your peers or your audience can comment on it, and together you can begin to sharpen um, what that message is. And that was working for a while, but I got feedback from um, some people that I, I really appreciate that could see the shift from quality going towards quantity and forgetting about the quality part. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I think like, Getting it done is really important, and doing more faster is really important, and breaking things while moving fast is is great, but at what cost? And it's very easy to leave one rat race and create a new one for, for yourself, and lock yourself into a box where it's like, I have to create every day. If I don't do that, I'm failing. Well, who are you failing? If your goal is to tell a story that is universal and can be timeless, why, do you, why must you be so topical? Are you trying to keep up with some, some trend? What are the incentives? These are all questions that went through through my mind and decided, you know what, this habit is for me. It can be personal. And when a product is, is finished, even if that product is content, that's when you share it. And I learned that before. When I put out Walicho and put out Lost in Antarctica, the process was private. And when the product was done, I shared it.
0: It sounds like you kept the habit, but it was more about when you published or shared that shifted. That's
1: right. Yes. I think it's a matter of picking the right tool for the job. You know, like We have all of these arrows in our quiver if you can follow the, the analogy and you pull out that arrow and you use it with your, your bow to go take out some target. I needed two weeks, a really hard deadline to publish my, my story. I don't think I need that self-imposed two-week deadline. It was completely arbitrary, but it worked for me and the 365 movements totally work for people and inktober if you're familiar with that it's going on right now where people are drawing uh on a different theme each day and it's it's a communal movement and it's really powerful for everybody involved and i absolutely support it but it doesn't mean that's the only path to success right there are infinite infinite different trails to the top of the mountain whatever mountain you're trying to climb
0: when you left that, you know, for you, what was a, the, another rat race, right? The the publishing every day to your Instagram account. What did that look like and what does it look like today? You know, the, the creation and then the sharing
1: aspect. Yeah, so I... Uh, I'm trying to move along with my book on a week-by-week basis and I have a soft goal in my head that I want to produce a story a month and so again I, I got out of one and now I've created another one for myself but a month sounds like an adequate time frame and my process is let's noodle on the story for the first week the second week sketch out some storyboards that match the words the third week begin to package the story, I'm sorry, the drawn parts and the written parts together into that story and then the fourth week is sort of the final production. And then when it's done, share it. And the platform I'm choosing to share it on right now is Medium. It was good to me before and I look at the media landscape uh, we'll use the last 18 months as a time frame and I think that there is an adequate appetite for um, subscription premium content and you can look at Spotify or, or Netflix as other uh, touch points where people are saying, yeah, I'll pay for good content, and I believe in, in Ev's vision for putting content behind a paywall. Um, I was invited to be part of the partner program, and I was very skeptical, uh, and decided just as a t- uh, test, like, put some pieces behind um, their their new platform. And it's done really well, and it's found me a new audience. and. Um, I really want to help explore what the future of content could be, where you create this separation between high volume, low quality content, and things that are, are precious and craftful. Um, and I, I just that that's what I want to explore, and so that's what I'm exploring currently. So I'm planning on putting out this this book featuring Osmo uh, in November. It's definitely going to be a winter release, and uh, and then start working on on the next one, and then the next one, and then the next one.